This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Gary Adams, President and CEO of the National Cotton Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with NCC's Gary Adams next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 480 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The cotton industry is no stranger to cyclical swings in revenue, trade, and production. Gary Adams, president and CEO of the National Cotton Council, says growers need relief from input prices, and the industry needs access to global markets. If we look at at the grower situation, and particularly we talk about prices, uh, right now we've got cotton prices that are probably the highest level that they have been in a decade. So I think that's certainly helping the grower's bottom line coming out of the 2021 harvest. And overall, yields were fairly good in, in most parts of the cotton belt. There were some pockets of problems. but So I, I think in general, we've come out of a year in 2021 uh, where the growers have seen a good price and in general a good, a good yield. I will say the concern for growers as they look to this year's crop is just what we're seeing on the input price side. So fertilizer, chemical prices that have increased significantly than where they were in 2021. So even though prices are good for the coming crop, I do think there's really concern about how the margins may get uh, squeezed a bit due to input costs. I think on the support side, on the industry in general, uh, the challenge we're looking at right now is just continuing to try to move this cotton into the marketing channels, whether that shipments to our domestic mills, uh, but especially the export markets and shipments are running well behind the the pace that they need to hit USDA's export number, and that can that continues to be a challenge, and it looks like it's going to be a challenge that'll be with us for the next several months. What does U.S. cotton need now to be able to maintain and/or to flourish? Well, I think when we look at the, the producer side, obviously need markets to to remain strong, need that demand base to remain there, and then hopefully seeing some relief on on the input price side. I think going forward, having new technologies come to the market uh, to be able to see that yield growth going forward, be able to have access to the crop protection products that they need, all of those are going to be critical for uh, where the producer is. And then and also, obviously, maintaining the safety net that will kick in whenever prices do go low again, and that's a key part of the current farm bill. I think, again, kind of looking at down through the uh, various parts of the industry, you know, particularly on the merchandising side, that's been a, a segment that going all the way back to COVID, we've been trying to get some relief from, and it's a segment that's still bearing a lot of the brunt of the risk and uncertainty. So as, as we try to move that cotton and ship that cotton and have shipping dates that are lined up, and then there's cancellations either from the truck side, the rail side, or the ocean carrier, that's just continued to compound the risk that is faced by our merchandisers. And then I think when we look at our U.S. textile members, demand has, has bounced back. So I think that's a, that's a positive. You know, we need to continue to try to keep that demand base going. 
uh, as well and, and make sure that we have provisions in our textile trade agreements that continue to allow really some strong uh, trade within the Western Hemisphere. How important is trade to the U.S. cotton industry? Uh, it's, it's absolutely critical. Uh, if you just look at the raw fiber that we produce, 80 to 85 percent of that goes into international markets, and we're talking about uh, you know key markets such as China, Vietnam, Mexico, Turkey, Pakistan, India, and even the products produced by our U.S. textile industry, which still consumes somewhere around 2.5 to 2.7 million bales. A lot of that yarn and fabric that's produced goes outside of the United States for further processing before much of it coming back to the United States as a finished product. And a lot of that is trade that occurs uh, with either USMCA or CAFTA DR countries. How has the COVID situation, how did it affect you and how is it now? Well, I think when we look back at 2020 when COVID hit and there was just really a, a complete shutdown in consumer spending, uh, you know, we know that in many cases uh, apparel purchases are, are certainly more discretionary than food purchases. And when that shutdown occurred and people were forced to stay at home, it was just a stoppage in terms of consumer purchases. It was a stoppage in many cases in terms of our shipments of cotton to the textile mills because many of those were also uh, closed as um, COVID shutdown workplaces. So we had that stoppage that was two to three months, and that was where really we saw a lot of the the cost build up on the um, manufacturers and on our uh, supply chain. I will say that we have uh, seen demand recover from COVID, probably a little stronger than we would have anticipated. It certainly started bouncing back as we went through 2021 and has remained strong at this point, even though, you know, prices are, nearby prices are above a dollar a pound. So that's the, I think that's the positive that we're seeing demand uh, come back. The, the labor situation, I've already, we've already talked about the logistics issues, but the labor situation continues to be a challenge as well throughout the uh, cotton supply chain. So thinking then about 2022 from a balance sheet standpoint, if the price is better, have you received indication from your growers that, that likely the cotton crop might be bigger for this year and there will be more supply to work with? Well, we have our survey underway right now, and that's a survey we do as part of our preparation for our annual meeting. I will point back to a survey that came out from a few weeks ago that talked about the potential for the increase in cotton acreage. And I think anecdotally, as we look at it, that's the expectation is that these prices will bring more acreage into cotton this year. I think the, the challenge we have and the concern we're watching is when we look at that drought monitor map and look at the weather that we've seen over the last few months has gotten extremely dry again in parts of the Cotton Belt, particularly in many parts of Texas. I think that's setting us up for a challenging, the potential for a very challenging year. So while we may see cotton acres go up, I, you know, I think the, the jury's still out as to whether the cotton crop will be larger or not. It's just going to wait and see if we can get some timely rains as we go through the year or if it continues to remain dry. Uh, we're we're in a situation right now where the cotton balance sheet is is reasonably tight, and well, again, uh, obviously weather in Texas can move that around, but right now it looks like it'll stay somewhat tight going further into this year. Gary, when I had a conversation on this program with Chris Novak of Crop Life America, he said the one thing that he really his industry needed, and he thought all of agriculture needed, was some consistency and stability especially as it pertains from Washington and decisions. 
and whether we're talking about herbicides and other pesticides that producers use, or even the clarity over what land is covered by the Clean Water Act. We certainly would echo and agree with those statements. I do think we look at a, a number of things coming out of EPA. One is, you know, continuing to, to monitor closely uh, the dicamba label and hope that that label that started in 2021 will continue. It was a five-year label, although we hear some rumblings of potential changes, but that's that's an issue we continue to monitor very closely. So that's one of the issues. I think the, another is some of the recent announcements that we've seen on Enlist Duo and adding some additional counties that are restricted for use of that product due to uh, endangered species. Uh, and, then, and then finally, the, the other one that we're monitoring closely is the waters of the U.S. Uh, we know there's EPA is working on a new rule now. Uh, we will be submitting comment, and we've also encouraged growers to participate in some of the stakeholder sessions. So overall, I would agree there's a lot of uncertainty out there now that we've already talked about in the market and with input cost and with labor issues. So trying to bring some type of certainty on product availability and the rules of which farmers must operate under would, would be very helpful at this time. Gary, there were some other commodity organizations that raised issue with how the EPA evaluated some of those herbicides and looking ahead of whether it was actually realistic in their evaluation compared to the Endangered Species Act and, and other criteria. Do you echo their concerns? We do, and, and I, I do think there's got to be, you know, just overall a, a consistent and clearer approach in terms of how we're approaching the Endangered Species Act with whether it's, you know, we're specifically talking about dicamba or any host of products. It, we've got to find some, some understood and, and consistent process going forward. With regard to waters of the U.S., the Obama administration wrote a definition uh, the Trump administration wrote a definition, and now the Biden administration is writing a definition. How is this obstacle of what is and what isn't covered by the Clean Water Act a challenge for your growers? I think when we, well, one of the things we point out is I think when we go back to some of those earlier rules that are now in place, kind of going back to some of those mid-1980s rules, some of the what we consider normal farming practices were uh, classified as, as not be uh, farming and would re- re- remove some of the exclusion. So, you know, we're talking about things such as uh, fallowing fields and switching from crop production to pasture and some and grazing and livestock and more. So we are very concerned that when you go back to rules that were established in the mid-1980s, that it's not, you know, those are not as relevant today as they might have been back then. And I think that's that's the biggest issue that you, you may find farmers who, inadvertently find themselves crossways of some of these older rules and again uh because in many cases they don't they're just not understanding how much the changes are and it is it is a challenge when we've seen all of these changes over the course of the last several years so i kind of go we go back to those earlier points you know some type of consistency and establishing some criteria and moving forward Gary, along the way, uh, we'll begin evaluation of the 2018 Farm Bill. And just looking at the calendar, we'll start talking about the 2023 Farm Bill, even knowing that there is a midterm election coming in between. As you look over your shoulder at the 18, how do you evaluate that policy? And, And already, could you see areas where cotton producers would have suggestions for new policy? Well, I would say in terms of the 2018 Farm Bill, overall we feel like that's been a, a very good uh, piece of legislation. 
Uh, it continued uh, the PLC and ARC programs for seed cotton. That's been a very effective safety net for producers as we've gone over the course of the last few years. So I think that's the, the first starting point is we believe that a lot of what is in the 2018 Farm Bill has worked for cotton and continues to work for cotton. Uh, so I think that's when we have a chance, uh, hopefully later this year, to offer at least some initial testimony. I think that's going to be the, uh, you know, the first point we choose to make. I do think there's going to be a, a number of probably issues that uh, we will like to look at. Um, you know, we're starting that internal discussion, or we'll be starting that internal discussion with our industry as we go a little bit further into 2022. I think it'll be uh, one of the things we'll watch closely is you know, any efforts that might happen on some type of permanent disaster assistance uh, are there, or in conjunction with that, are there opportunities to continue to try to bolster the crop insurance products that are available to producers? So those are, those are a couple of uh, a couple of issues that uh, we certainly will want to focus on as we have uh, some of our internal discussions. There have been a number of events that have hit agriculture uh, after that 2018 Farm Bill was approved. Uh, funds came to agriculture for market assistance. Funds came to agriculture uh, as a result uh, of COVID. Uh, were those distributed fairly? You know, as we look back at the assistance that's been provided, and, and there was relief for COVID even before that, there was relief in the way of the market facilitation programs that kind of stemmed from uh, some of the China trade tensions. So certainly those have been extremely beneficial to cotton. I, I think they were in line at least to some degree with they didn't completely fill the hole, but they were very helpful as we look at what was received by cotton producers. Uh, in the COVID uh, side, we were also able to uh, have our textile manufacturers receive some assistance that helped, helped offset uh, uh, some of the losses that they incurred. I think the area that we would still uh, like to see some assistance come is in the merchandising side. That was a priority that we pursued with Congress and with the administration over the last couple of years because, again, we know with the, with essentially a lot of the demand base shutting down, the, the merchandisers were left bearing a lot of that cost and risk. And so that's one that we would like to see still an opportunity to provide some assistance and relief for. I do think as we look at going forward, and there's certainly been a focus on some additional conservation spending in versions of the Build Back Better plan, and there's a focus uh, within President Biden's administration and USDA on climate-smart agriculture, I think we see a lot of opportunities there as well. Our cotton producers have been you know, heavy users of the working lands conservation programs over, over the years. Uh, so I think there's an opportunity. There's more demand for those programs if we can have the funding provided to them. And I think it can tie in well, that focus on climate-smart agriculture ties in well with the sustainability work that the U.S. cotton industry has undertaken. How big is the sustainability issue in your eyes, and how big will it be as we start developing farm policy where producers might say risk management is a top priority, but the rest of the country might say climate and climate smart would take the center role? Well, I hope we can address both of those issues. I will say that as we look at the U.S. cotton industry and, and up the textile supply chain, sustainability is a is a huge issue uh, for those brands and retailers at the end that are ultimately using U.S. cotton. Uh, many of those major brands and retailers have established goals or targets uh, for a future year. In many cases, it might be 2025 of when they want to be sourcing all of their raw materials from what they consider to be sustainable sources. And we want to make sure that U.S. cotton 
is on that list. Uh, so I do think when we talk to producers, we try to stress to them that we believe our ability to tell that sustainability story uh, to the brands and retailers is critical to maintain and to grow the demand base for U.S. cotton. I think also there's you know, a great opportunity with the data we're collecting from participating producers that we can use that to hopefully leverage that into greater participation opportunities into some of these conservation and climate smart uh, projects. Well, conservation and climate smart are not one size fits all. Uh, you've got a big portion of the country that receives adequate rainfall, and they actually have conservation programs that have to deal with too much water from time to time. And then there's a whole lot of the rest of the country that does not have nearly as much water as they would like. We've seen an, uh, a push toward cover crops, and certainly it has a place, but it doesn't have a place all across the country. Can How do you work ahead and find a balance for um, for sustainability efforts from Washington to help producers. Well, I think uh, I think one of the key points is that any approach has to be flexible and has to be uh, in terms of what are the practices that are allowed. Because you're right, it's not a, in any way, shape, or form a one size fits all. So I do think it has to take into consideration local uh, agronomic conditions, uh, weather patterns, all of those types of things. And I think it's also we have we have to think keep in mind that you know what what is or could be considered sustainable in one region is not going to be what we consider sustainable in another region. So it be flexible, uh, allow a range of practices, and then I think at the end of the day the focus needs to be on regardless of where somebody's starting from in terms of sustainability or their conservation practices. Let's always kind of focus on, well, what changes can be done to make somebody improve? And, and that's kind of a, a foundational principle of the work we do within sustainability is we focus on continuous improvement. So everybody's got to start somewhere and look at, okay, what might be some opportunities for uh, continuous improvement? And, again, so I think there, regardless of the operation, uh, we should be able to hopefully identify some of those practices. Gary, when I talk to corn and soybean growers, obviously there is an optimism about renewable fuels and next-generation biofuels, and that promises demand for those crops. What does cotton have, and is there a challenge for the cotton industry in terms of maintaining acres in the U.S.? Well, I think, you know, when we look at opportunities on cotton, um, again, it, it's building... It's building and continue to grow and grow the demand base. I believe where we see, you know, our competition coming from on the demand side is, uh, you know, cotton being a natural fiber versus the competition that we see from polyester and other petroleum-based synthetic fibers. And, and that's really, and, and, and they have made inroads in the demand base over the course of the last, you know, number of years. We're starting to see those inroads slow down somewhat, and hopefully we're seeing in some categories it turn back in favor of cotton. I believe when we take into consideration the whole sustainability story and the the impact on the environment, uh, it gives cotton a, a leg up on those competing fibers. But really, I see as it going forward, I see that as a tremendous opportunity for us to to build that demand base, keep prices at a you know a good level for the grower and then be able to uh, maintain or perhaps expand acreage.
Gary, I'm going to ask you to dip a toe into a national debate here for a second, if you can. And if you don't want to, it won't be mad. Uh, but, okay. but, but I'm going to, I'm going to lend this way. We've covered a lot of ground in this interview, so I'd like to give you a, a little more broad spectrum question here, if I can. You've got a meeting coming up of cotton producers in Houston, and I'm interested. What are some of the topics that you feel like are going to be at the top of the list? Well, we do have uh, our annual meeting uh, in mid-February in Houston. That's the chance to, for us to bring our delegate body together and really establish our our policies uh, that will guide the activities that we undertake for the rest of the year. I expect uh, there will be some initial, you know, discussion among our producer segment regarding the Farm Bill. Uh, you know, we've, we've already touched on a number of the issues that will come up in terms of the ongoing efforts on sustainability. I think we'll also obviously talk about some of the trade policy issues. Uh, you know, we continue to monitor the ongoing trade relations between the United States uh, and China. So that's you know, that's another one to, to watch as we move forward through 2022. I do think overall, though, you know, despite some of the significant challenges that we're seeing, particularly on the logistics side and on the labor side, I think there's a lot of optimism uh, in the cotton industry, particularly the way it appears that the, the demand side has bounced back since the, the really the sharp downturn that we had during COVID. Well, Gary Adams, we want to thank you very much for taking time from your busy schedule, especially in preparation of the big national meeting coming up, uh, to spend time with us here on Open Mic and talk about the cotton industry. Gary, you've been here before. Uh, it is Open Mic, and today you've got the last word. Well, certainly we appreciate uh, the chance to always visit and talk about the industry. Uh, I think, again, we're looking forward to uh, uh, to a good 2022, and uh, like I said, I hope uh, weather cooperates and that we see a, a good crop and that our demand base continues to remain strong. Our thanks to Gary Adams, President and CEO of the National Cotton Council, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop Insurance the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.